What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shaw. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad. It incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and most definitely messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. You guys, I'm super stoked for you guys to meet my friend Mark Brown. You're going to dig him. He flew all the way from the East Coast to hang out with me here in the office and talk fatherhood. He just wanted to be in person and get the vibe of just enjoying conversation together. He probably wouldn't admit to it, but I'm pretty sure he cried like three times during our conversation, which I love because the dude is just passionate about fatherhood and truly has a deep, deep love for his wife and his kiddos. He shares the struggles of building a business and he shares the moment he decided he was going to be an intentional father. This is a rich episode, guys. Check it out. Enjoy it. Please share it and do me a favor. If you're on iTunes, write a review. All right. I'm already smiling ear to ear. Super pumped to talk fatherhood with Mark Brown. What's up, Mark? Hey, what's up, Ned? Glad to be here. Dude, it's <laughs> rad because it's, I think this is the first podcast in months that I've done in person. Mm, you've had a lot going on. Well, it's just like nobody wants to come sit in the office and talk about it oh, with I everything see. going yeah. on. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So uh, you are here on the West Coast all the way from Virginia. Virginia. All the way across the country. Oh my gosh, this is super rad to talk fatherhood <laughs> with you. So we've been rapping for the last couple hours just talking life. And here we are about to hit we'll hit record and we're going to talk fatherhood. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes from this conversation. And our mutual friend Thomas Blackwell mm-hmm. introduced us. Yep. Incredible dude. And uh, he had, you know, I asked him, hey, who's a couple great dads? And he said, Mark Brown, this guy is a solid dad. <laughs> and so I'm excited to talk to you about it. I appreciate that, 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 um, that toss up from Thomas. <laughs> Heck yeah. He's great. He's solid. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to ask a few rapid fire questions just so people can get to know like who's sitting in front of me right sure. now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how old are you today? I'm 41 years young. All right. And how many years have you been married? Um... Well, I've been married for. <laughs> filling the, you're filling the gaps with the well. Um, uh, I, uh, well, uh, I, I promised her I'd get the the month and day every year, but uh, so we're up to this fall will be 13 years. Okay, okay. I'm pretty sure I got that right. Nice. Mostly sure. Well done. That was a really fast answer. So good job. <laughs> uh, and how many kids do you guys have? We have four, and uh, we have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old. A now six, uh, and Bradley, our oldest, is turning 12 soon. So we have a lot going on. Okay, yes, it <laughs> planned out pretty well. Well, we um, it just seemed to really work out. It was kind of fortuitous, but by divine intervention, we had the last Thomas, our youngest, when we did. But um, because shortly after, Kathy went through a physical battle with some things. But um, yeah, I remember when we had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and a newborn in the yeah. house for three months. That was, and then when he hit two, it was, those Those are when the phone calls at work came in. It's like, honey, when are you coming home? 
I need to know. <laughs> yeah. Listen to me. <laughs> oh, when are man. you coming home? <laughs> so gnarly. So gnarly. And that stage. Now I want to go back. And now I just want it back. You now know? you want to go back there, right? Because yeah, right. now it's like as they're getting older, it's just a new set of different, you know, when people say it's going to get so much easier. It's not really true. It's just different. Yeah. You know, and those young ages, man, goodness. I, I just love rolling around on the floor with like a one and a half year old, like, and you can't get it back, No, but you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know it when you're there. I love, there's a line from the office. I don't know if you watched that show, but Andy, the last episode, he's like, I wish you knew you were something about, I wish you knew you were in the good old days when you're in the good old days or something like that. And, and, uh, yeah, man, I would have more babies. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not the one having them, so it's not fully. <laughs> of course, up to we me, would, right? Yeah, I would sure, definitely baby, have more. Sure, baby, I'm all in. I'm <laughs> all in for you doing another nine month tenor. That's, I mean, <laughs> no, but it was it was Thomas Blackwell who who shared this phrase with me. I'm not sure that he coined it, but he um he says cherish the small things because one day they become the big things. Mm. You know, it's those little moments that you have. You know, and and it was a. A good friend of my wife who shared this snippet of the timelines uh, that your child is in different phases. So he's only a newborn for like two, three months. And then he's an infant for only like nine months. Then he's a toddler only for about nine months or so. And then he's, then he's, you know, you, you break down these phases and you realize these are very short chapters. And then that phase of their life is, is over. That's why we struggle with it, but the idea of being present, you know, and it's talked about more and more because it's so hard to be present in our current state of living, Yeah, you know? And, and I think that that's part of the joy is that, you know, when you're 35, 40, 45, 50, it feels kind of like it's all the same, Mm -hmm. but because you don't see it as fast, but that's really the gift of kids. If you embrace it, which is something you and I are going to talk about is you get to really realize the importance of being present because Mm -hmm. the moments go by. Yeah, they do. You know, but like you said, and my wife had this sign up because, you know, we had four under four for a minute because we're great planners. Oh my gosh. And she had a sign up. The the days are long, but the years are short. Oh, that's That's just a reminder because that's like the call right when she it's it's four o'clock and she's like i am going to hurt somebody <laughs> you know come home calling now. in for reinforcements she's yeah. pushing the button she's like you need to come home <laughs> so this next question i've actually never said this before on the podcast but i didn't want to do this question mm. because i don't i think that it is used inappropriately but the question is what do you do for a living and before you answer it the reason why i don't like the question is i think men ask themselves ask each other this question too much because it automatically helps me adjust okay what kind of house do you have how much do you make what's your role where do you stack up and i hate that because when it comes to fatherhood fatherhood's a level playing field sure so i i ended up asking it is an equalizer. You, yeah mm-hmm. I, I ended up asking the question because I think it helps us dudes at least have an understanding of the other dude. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that the question isn't a size people up, but it's a help me understand who you are more. Yeah. So in a minute or less, what do you do to provide for the family? I do pay. I own a payment processing company. And so we help businesses um, set up credit card payments, take credit card payments through apps online in store, brick and mortar, C-level businesses and, uh, help them navigate the challenges with getting a you know great technology in place to accept credit cards. Nice. Yeah, but uh, generally, so we speak to all the dudes. I sell stuff. You sell stuff. I sell stuff. Yeah. 
At the end of the a day, master we all seller kind of, of sell stuff. stuff. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't matter what we it is. We sell stuff, we build stuff, and we all work together. Right? Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so when it's come to your kids, right, you have already experienced a few stages of life. Yeah. What has been a great resource to you or resources, whether it's a person, a book, What's been some resources that have been helpful? Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, as I was kind of preparing, you know, I thought about all the different places that I've gotten help. And, you know, I got to give it up to all the great men in my life because they they really molded me into the man I am today that <laughs> that um, there has been so many life experiences that have and they have almost all come from other people that, you know, serving me, helping me, but me learning how to be a good dad really started with my dad, you know, and he didn't know how to say it. And I don't think he even knew how to teach it, but he knew how to live it. Mm. He knew how to make sure that we never had to worry about the things that can become like game changers if they're not there, you know? Man, I think that's super powerful because I think I even get caught up sometimes in what am I doing with and for my kids mm-hmm. and what am I saying to them and what, um, whether it's a teaching or a video or, you know, like trying to be hyper intentional dad. Yeah. And sometimes you forget that you need to kind of work on yourself and then be consistent in the day in day out words and actions. And like you said, it was the man that he was that really shaped you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's, yeah. it's really about how am I living my life? You know, it's one of the things, you know, you touched on that right there, but it's one of the biggest things that uh, have hurt my success and growth when I've allowed it to is, is believing that because, you know, just t- holding any type of bar to where you're at, you know, there's a, a coach, and I'm going to get the coach wrong, but I believe he was out of North Carolina, who said, all we can do is all we can do. And all we can do is good enough. You know, my dad wasn't perfect by many scales in this world. He had a lot of things going on that some may deem as failures. But I wasn't born to those fathers. And I was born to my dad. Yep. And God knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what challenges he was going to have to learn from, grow from. And that's why he put us together. That's why he made him my dad and put me in his family. I mean, you know, it's it's such a disadvantage to hold yourself up to any type of scale that, you know, other than your own achievements. You know, you've done real well. And, and one of the be- most beautiful things is when your kids show you what they've learned from you where you didn't realize it mm. and you, and you catch yeah. them and you're like, yeah. dude, I taught you that, but it could That's go both awesome. ways. <laughs> yeah. It could go both ways, which, sure. which it's cool if it's awesome. But if you go, what are the things, the bad habits, the things that you're sure. doing that you don't really want your kid, you're not teaching them that, but sure. they're watching you and they're paying attention and oh, see, man. you might be okay with it. Like, let's just do something very simple. <laughs> you might be okay with, yeah, cigarettes aren't good for my body. Sure, I'm just sure. using that. Like there's, far more important things than cigarettes. Okay. The way I speak to my wife, let's use that as an example, Mm -hmm. right? So you might think, you know what? It's this, that, or the other. Do you want your daughter spoken to that way one day? Do you want your son to speak to his wife one day? Well, it'll be better. No, it won't. No, it won't. It'll only be better if you change it now. Yeah. (laughs) Then that's, and that should be a reason why you are choosing 
to invest in becoming a better father. Yeah, you know, and in those moments where it goes both ways, like you say, yeah. they um, you have the opportunity to either pomp up in pride and take it offensively and be soft about it, or you can assume your role and be grateful for that you have a mirror in front of you, this moldable, always loving you, you're the greatest hero in their world mirror, you know, and because... It was a moment where uh, my wife thinks this is pretty funny. When I get irritated at the way my dad talks, he'll talk to you like dads do sometimes. Like you're not as smart or you haven't figured out the stuff the old guys figured out. Yeah. Like, hey, he's back there, there, dog. Let, let, let the man show you how it's done. And you're like struggling with whatever you're doing. And he's being the worst critic in the world. And you're just like, would you just go away? Like uh, nobody wants you standing over me right now. Just bugging the target. And I look over at my wife and she is losing it. Turning four shades of red from a fair pair, a fair skin. And you're just she's like, something funny to you? And she, she's like, oh, no, nothing. Do you, do you find your, that your father's irritating you? Is, it, is, that, is that irritating to have someone? I say, look, you wanted my advice yesterday, okay? You may not have known it, but you wanted it. I know you did. You needed it. I could see that, right? But kids are like that. You know, because they're so innocent and pure, you can't in any type of good mind find find true joy and happiness and them reciprocate, reciprocating back to you what you may have inadvertently or unintentionally guided them to. <laughs> yeah, but as you say it, it's like, okay, you and I are talking now and I say, what's the best resource to you as a dad? And not everybody gets to say my dad, you know? And so if, if you're listening to this right now, you know, you might be going, oh, well, I didn't have a great dad, blah, blah, blah. Well, one day somebody might ask your son that same question. So 30, 30 years from now, his answer is dependent on how you live your life. So I think it's a rad answer. Yeah. Right. So it's like, as dudes are listening to this, okay, maybe you didn't have a dad who showed you the way he yeah. didn't have a good guide. Then go out and find some. Cause you also said that there was other men in your life. Yep. And I think that we've missed that thing. Yeah. And, and, and men want to speak into other men's lives. You just got to go ask for I it. Think you're, I think you're saying something that's very important because it touches a lot of people. And I think the majority of people, I really don't know what this number is, but I feel like the majority of people do not have role father figure roles that are admirable. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. I think I would think that that's probably, probably in the fair majority. But one of the people that I've referenced is uh, my friend Ryan Burroughs, who played for the USA rug rugby team. And I believe he used to be on the Wolfpack, which was out of Canada, but I think he's playing for the DC team now, but um, I can't say for sure. But Ryan's, you know, and, and I haven't got his permission to share this, so I'm not going to share too deep. But Ryan is a, he's an incredible person. You know, he's spawned, I think he's one of the only people sponsored by a Christian apparel line. Hmm. He, um, he and his brother, who I know, I know his brother slightly well. We've only had a few interactions, but all of them good. Um, they, they are incredible men and they are going to be world-class fathers Hmm. and they have, you know, without me sharing their story or they had every excuse not to be, they had the antithesis of my experiences. So how is that? And it really comes down to the things that we were bebopping about before the, the the episode, the David Goggins mindset. It really just doesn't matter what you do, you know. It, and it was um, 
it was Dan Gable who said this. Dan Gable was a coach of Iowa State Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. Out of 16 years, he won 15 national championships. Only one person has ever beat him in his entire wrestling career. He's the only guy to beat the un- unbreakable Russian. I mean, he's wow. phenomenal. I mean, and he had this mindset. He had this phrase. He says, you shoot, I score. I shoot, I score. It, it really just, it really doesn't matter. I mean, if you got a, if you got a move that's fast and quick, doesn't matter. A counter. If, if you think you got great defense, doesn't matter. I can beat that too. He just had this mindset. And this is what Thomas Blackwell really has mastered over the years of service and humility is that it really just doesn't matter what happens in this world to me, around me. This is all going to work out to my advantage. If you see it that way. If you see, if you, if you make that simple choice Hmm. that this is for my good, you can't win, you know, and Dave Goggins talked to about taking souls. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm on the side of right. I'm on the side of my pursuit. There's, if you go a hundred steps, I'm going one on one. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just going after it. Yeah, it's good. That's super good. When you think about the father, what do you think his role is? Well, my 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 um, just for me, it just seems like it's very clear to me is to provide and protect your family, protect and protect, and I mean provide spiritually provide temporally like things of the world i think that that this is the goal right you know but um you know my mom my dad worked a job that he for spurts was gone Mm. a lot but he would have you know large break he worked shift work for uh, a power company out on the east coast he worked at a power plant and um there'll be a lot a lot of weeks and days that i didn't see him that much and um, in, in, in some ways, I felt like that was, you know, because you wanted to be with your dad, right? right? You know, you just naturally did. But I think that the advantage that I had to worry about things that I felt at the time weren't that big of a deal, but they seemed to be a big deal to me then was because my dad always took care of those two things. He, he made sure that I never, ever had to worry about being taken care of hmm. health insurance, um, money food. I mean, he didn't give me money as much as like some other parents around my neighborhoods would. Um, cause we were the, the poorest, like we were like, we were never poor and needy, but we were, it always kind of felt like it was that way, but it wasn't until you got older that you're like, yeah, it really wasn't that bad, but man, why didn't we have a bunch of new stuff? You know, it's because it's cause that's just the way it was. But my dad, I never worried like that never crossed my mind. Yeah. Like, where are we going to stay tonight? Or like, what's, is there food to eat? And it wasn't until I had recent experiences with some dads in my life now, um, that friends of mine that dude, they would give anything, give anything to have the money, the resources to bring their child to their home who's staying with their mom, Mm. you know, because they're not together, Mm. but he can't take care of them. And he knows he's missing out. Yeah. He, but he wants it so bad. And then it just makes you look back at your own life and think, man, I might've had that wrong a little bit, Yeah, you know, but when you look, when I look back, what's the core of, of my existence? Uh, to me that as a father, you, you make sure your family is safe. You make sure you're safe from sin, safe from, you know, physical problems, safe from financial problems. You do everything. If you have that mindset, right. 
How can it not drive you to want to give them all the most tre- treasured things that you have in your, your head? Yeah, I think some of the things that you're saying are super powerful in that we know innately that we are provider and protector. Mm-hmm. But I think no one has ever really shown us what that means. And you're saying it in a roundabout way, right? You're saying it's not just provide food, it's provide stability. It's provide not just a roof over your head, but yeah, p- peace. Is that what you said? Yeah, peace. Yeah, peace. Sure. Like peace, stability, joy. So, and, and no one's told us that. Like as a father, providing and protecting is not limited to food and shelter or knowing how to fight. It's, mm-hmm. it's deeper than that. It is that, but it's deeper than that. One of the things you said um, before, we had, uh, before we had hit record about the role of a father is you had said to teach your children, and I'm thinking in this you're talking about your sons because you have three sons and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Teach them by example how to love a woman by devote living with virtues and core ethics. Virtues and core ethics. And I, this is pretty critical, man. I mean, you have the responsibility to teach your sons how to treat a woman. Like, who even says that these days? Like, you know what I mean? We might believe it in our hearts. Like if you were to pull a man aside and ask him, like a dude who loves his family well, but to really, to really think that, to really acknowledge, like there's virtues and core values that through my example, not through what I say, Mm -hmm. but through how I treat my wife. And then I'm continually growing in that, right? I don't Mm want to be the same husband today that I was last year. Sure. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that. Why is that important to you? Do you do? You, let, me, let me ask you this: Do you think your dad showed you a good example of that? Man, my uh, <laughs> my dad. The one thing that I, you know, you talk about like providing, right? Yeah. He provided me with the emotional peace that, as I saw my friends go through divorce and their childrens, you know, my 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 friends' parents go through divorce. And face the challenges that come with that. That not that doesn't make anybody right or wrong. Sometimes we're in the wrong relationship. Sometimes people change. Sometimes everybody has different challenges. This is no stake of of positioning in closer, higher, low. That has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with just what my situation was and what my duty was from that. And my dad, because of the blessings that I was given, provided me with the peace, the emotional peace. That he would never leave my mom Mm. and he would never be disloyal to her. He would never. And because of that, this not only became something that was instilled in me by example, but it became something so rooted in who I was. It was like, I almost didn't want to get married because that was the only way. I was getting married. Well, yeah, right? but, yeah, because, because you were shown like, how serious it is. You it's have not the, just, yeah, it's not just like, hey, this is the thing to do. No, this is the, the, once once we once we yeah. tie arms in the name of God. This this is till done the end forever. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, and until the day she no longer exists. Now, did your dad sit you down and have this? Never. Yeah. He, <laughs> see, that's what's crazy. I think yeah. he didn't sit you down and say that, but there was this. There was, it was lived out in front of you. Yeah. This belief that this is big time. You know, I think that that's one of the adversary's tools against man, men becoming fathers Hmm. is that 
he distorts this perception of what must become and what must happen. Like your plans, right? That you were talking about. You want to make God laugh, tell me your plans, right? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. like, look, the only thing I have, uh, expectancy I have out of my Heavenly Father is that he will, he will get me exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's the only expectancy I, re- I really have, that he will guide me. I may not have all the answers and all this stuff. And, but that's the disservice and missed opportunity. It's a disadvantage. It holds us back. It, blo- it creates blockages in our life and in our mind. When, when, we, when we fall into the mindset that it has to be this way, mm. that we're attached to how we're going to grow or learn or even serve our children. And the more I got in my life to being who I best was, which was a colorful, energetic expressor, that I didn't have to sit down and have this serious conversation, which my dad had two with me in my life, both of which were awkward (laughs) and terrible, one of which was in the smelliest of environments. No need to illustrate further where. But I'm like, dude, why are we having this amazing, like life-changing conversation in the bathroom? And I don't understand what's happening. It's because he's never had those before. He never had those experiences. But but dude, what if he would have thought, oh no, I, I can't, I need to get dressed. I need to prepare something. I need to know exactly what to say before I tell Mark one of the most important things I've ever learned in my life as a dad. What if he would have thought that that criteria had to be met before he could he probably share never would have done it. He went, yeah, I mean, I think we all freeze in the face of like this momentous task, but when in reality, it's quite simpler. Hmm. His examples are laid to me in, in silence and the quiet walking of his duty and the humble gratitude of his life. I think that's so powerful for me to hear, for men to hear, because we're in, we're, we live in a world that's just so blatant of like information, content, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes we we think everything has to be loud. Everything has to be big. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be. It's, it's that consistent. Deal. It's yeah. that consistent. And that's something I'm learning right now. The slow and steady, day in and day out, consistency. Yeah. Right, I'm going to throw a question at you that I've never asked anyone before. Oh, good. <laughs> What's been your greatest struggle as a father? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm an emotional guy. I don't have any problems with it. I love who I am. I love expressing, but this might touch a chord. <laughs> the, um, you know, the hardest battle I've faced was with it is within it's within, you know, you know, have you heard that? I think it's an old native American, uh, poem. Maybe I think my aunt actually texted it to me a couple weeks ago, but it talks about two wolves. It's about a boy comes to, uh, a tribe leader of some sorts, a chief and, He's asking about how come some men are bad and some men are good. And um, I'm probably getting this wrong. I need to reread that poem. No, it's okay. The summary will be perfect. <laughs> so what it what had happened was it was um, he went up to this chief and he, he was asking question or whatever. And the chief explained to him, he said, son, inside of every man, you could apply this to women as well. Since we're on, you know, you don't have to feel bad about. No, this is a man podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, well, I'm talking to my There's guys out of there. Mom stuff. All right, yeah, talking to my guys out there. So, <laughs> inside every man is a good wolf and a bad wolf, and they are constantly struggling. They are constantly 
attack, like defending and being attacked. The good is being attacked and they're constantly at, at war. You know, and I think it's actually more peaceful than that, not as tumultuous. I like to avoid anything that appears to be chaotic. The adversary likes to operate in chaos. So, you know, I like to step back and find peace in the simple side of things. But what he was saying is, and the, the boy asked the chief, he said, well, you know, who's going to win? And the answer was, is whoever you feed. Hmm. It's whoever you feed. Yep. Is that our role? Is, our, our role as dads is is to really just feed the good man, feed the good side, and the more you focus on that, the more it expands. So, in thinking about that as a struggle, right? So, so as you, so if you, so digging back. So into, inside of me, inside of me was there was, uh, you know, you get through some of the easy to see external things, right? Because it's easy to see when you're loud and obnoxious. You right. can see that reaction in other people. You can see you know, you can see it better after you see new dads, right? Mm-hmm. You you see the the parents with the one kid who look like they got a a minivan for just the stuff for the one kid, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. you're just like <coughs> they're coming out of the car and it looks like they're ready to go on a weekend trip camping in the woods. You're like, oh my gosh, where are you guys going with all that stuff? <laughs> but by the third kid you got a diaper and a bottle. You're yeah. like, you're like, dude, we got the essentials. That's all we're rolling with right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You always make sure you have wipes, diapers, and a bottle. Everywhere. We're ready to roll. But like, um, you know, just looking back in that sense, I think that, you know, most of my 20s into my 30s was just a lot of getting it. Just like doing stuff, going all over the place as a dad, you know, and how I'm going to be that role, trying to do activities running myself ragged, trying to pay the bills, grow the business, you know, all these things going on. It was just a lot going on. But then in the 30s, I really sought after more balance. Mm. And then as I got well into my 30s, I started to realize that almost everything that had happened up to that point in my life, you know, this is just not even not too long ago. This is very fresh, but had led me to this point to conquer myself. To really conquer the the, the wolf within. Hmm. To really say, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna stop battling these wolves. We're going to we're gonna execute the bad wolf. We're gonna expunge him. We're gonna get rid of him. <laughs> but but that that really came to a head just over a year ago, and it had took probably the better part of twenty years to prepare for this final expungement, if you will to overcome what my greatest, what I feel like to this point in my life was my greatest victory was, you know, getting over myself. So check it because you kind of hear this thing that, I mean, I feel like I've heard this. Okay. So sure. mm-hmm. like once you hit your forties, you like, at, you, you kind of realize really who you are and where you're headed. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is our culture doesn't really value growing up. So yeah, they like to criticize every point on the path. So what did it mm-hmm. take? What do you think it took? Because I would think that you needed those 20 years to get to where you are now. Right. It, you couldn't have got there at 22 without those 20 years. So it's really an interesting balance as a human being or as let's talk about men is that, yes, you can be told things at 20 and at 30 and probably, you know, at 40 and at, you know, all these years. But but some of it you can be told and you could learn from, but then some of it you just have to go experience. Yeah. So what do you think it took for you 
to go from the the one stage to the next. Like, how do you really, I guess my question for a dude who's like, I want to grow up. I want to be the man of my house. I want to be the father to my family and not this patriarchal, whatever we think of as bad or whatever, but what did it take to dig in and flip over to this, this man that you want to be? Yeah. You, so have you heard the story of Aristotle where he takes the kid that wants to men? I think it's Aristotle. It's Aristotle or Socrates, I think was one of them. With my analogies are terrible with my but they um They both sound smart, so yeah, just they both pick were, one and yeah, go. Let's let's roll with Aristotle. <laughs> he sounds like a good name. But he he has this this kid approach him and says, I wanna know I wanna be I wanna be brilliant like you. I, I wanted I mean, I will do anything to learn yeah. what you know. And he tells him, Meet me at the beach tomorrow morning at six AM. And he does. He meets him at the beach and he walks him out into the water and it gets about knee high. And he's like, all right, very good. Now follow me out a little bit deeper. So he goes out deeper and he calls for the boy. The boy comes closer. He's about chest high. And he says, all right, now come with me a little bit farther. We're going to go a little bit deeper. And he goes out till he is standing on his tippy toes and he's barely able to breathe. And he can't swim. So this is very uncomfortable for him. And he says, um, he says, okay, are you, you want to know what it takes? To learn what I know? He goes, yeah. And he grabs his head and he he puts his head underwater and holds him underwater. And the kid is flailing. He's struggling. He's kicking. He's fighting. He's trying to get up. And he holds him down there for quite a while. And then he lets him go. And then he, pl- he lunges out of the water and clutching to every breath in the air just to regain his focus. Because when he was underwater... It was all about survival. I just wanted air, right? And he said, when you want to when you want to learn as bad as you wanted to breathe, then you'll be ready. Hmm. For me, a lot of my and this may be different from everybody listening, and I think all of our stories are, but it may just be a common thread between every one of our lives that Life will guide us through these experiences. And if we trust that what we're doing is good enough, that what you're doing is good enough, even though you miss the mark, even though that list of things was only 20% done, or your 20 things got only one thing done and somehow turned into 30 things at the end of the day, and that you're always doing enough, that life will lead you. Your 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 Heavenly Father will constantly take you to places where you need to grow. Because when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be successful. Hmm. I wanted to pay the bills. But when I hit my 30s, I realized I didn't really want it at 20. And then when I got into my late 30s, I realized I really didn't want it at early 30s. And, you know, it it's life that gives you So it's you a that. why. So, so you're wanting to grow. Right. Because Why? So you're saying, so basically I said, what did it take from you to switch from one to the other? And it's because you saw something on the other side, and something that you want. I wanted it. What is it that you want? For me, uh, my first growth, I really, you know, and I can't, I could not be here without my wife. My wife, Kathleen is my, my savior, like savior on earth, man. She is an angel. And without her, I could not have been half the man I am today. You know, she's really challenged me and put me up to the fire of growth and stood by me. You know what's crazy? Um, what's that? Is <laughs> is uh, in the Old Testament when 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 God had brought Eve, mm-hmm. it said that she would be uh, 
the man's life's uh, the man's uh, helper. Yeah. And the words Ezer Konegdo. And, and and it was only used like four or five other times in the Old Testament. Mm. And you know when it was used? It was when man was struggling in battle and going to lose. And the Lord, Ezer Konegdoed and saved him from the battle. Mm. And so when you, this is the first time I felt like I heard, like you said, man, my wife is like, it's how I feel about my wife too. Like I could literally not be where I am or do what I'm doing or have any of the success that I have without her. Sure. 100%. So, and I could see it in your face. Like there's no denying that Kathy, right? Mm, Kathleen. Kathleen mm-hmm. hasn't been there beside you in a gnarly way. And that went, so when people translate it as a helper, it's like, ugh, yeah, I think pathetic. It's, you know. And so you go, man, God saved dudes in that lifesaver alongside of, and that's the, 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 that's the way that we rely on our spouses if we do it right. Yeah, you know, I heard someone put it this way and I agree with it exa- entirely. And, but the best thing for a man is a woman that needs him because it defines his role. And I, I don't mean need clingy and I don't mean need codependent. I mean like to fill the holes that only a man can fill, you know? And however that's defined as a father figure, however that's defined in your... but. Because it gives man purpose. Mm. And, and, you know, it, and too many times they have placed woman, you know, the society now really challenges this school of thought, but they want to place this stereotype that with ma- masculinity comes a subservient partner. Uh, mm. sur- and that that is just so awful because mm-hmm. the way I've always seen it, is by the mere presence of Kathleen that I just want to come up to her. Mm. That that definition of what she needs is always above where I'm at. Wow. So it's not that we're not equal. We are. We are all we're all equal, even if I'm kind of lagging or she might have rough days or however we lift each other up. But the role that I have as a man, by her being there. Just being there. I want to be better. I want to be better. I want to, when I see her hurt or I see her worry, I want to take that away. And I embrace that. That's what God built me for. It's powerful. Yeah. I love that analogy because it's like, I literally have to level up if I want to meet where she's at. Like, they're amazing. Yeah. Right? And and if I'm just left to my own. Yeah. I mean, shoot, leave me home for the weekend without her around and (laughs) I'm not going to clean up as much. Think about, think about (laughs) that with pregnancy. Look at everything that they go through in childbirth. How does that not demand a father? Mm. How does that not, that experience in the way that the woman becomes, and I don't want to meet, this is not weak. You know, the fact that a human creature can create another human and then have that, I mean, like past that human survive. I mean, it's just crazy how vulnerable they become during that not weak but just that's a lot to that that's a lot to birthing the, mm. i mean the survival rates are still not always the best and it's it's there's a, a lot to do and without being condescending and any with all the respect and humility that anybody not being a woman can usher up at, you know watching my wife go through four c-sections watching the pain endured after birth the struggles to that we wanted to nurse 
the struggles she endured to provide what we felt was best for our children. You know, whether that is or without nursing, that's not my call for anybody outside of me and my wife. But that's just what we chose to do. Yeah. And it was a challenge and everything along the way that all of that, that that they, during this birthing period, they need a man. I mean, what a man, that is a call for a man to step up and say, hey man, heads up, we got another member coming. I hope you're ready to grow. It's so sad that so much of the time we just make it a joke. Yeah. You talk about like rebel and create. So let's ask that question now. The the question. Yeah. So let's ask the question. So this is fatherhood field notes. We're opening up your field notes. We're sharing your life. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's the ups, the downs, the, the wisdom that you have with the life that you've led. And as men, we can gain from that. Mm -hmm. And the mantra is rebel and create. Yeah. And it, and at the core, it's, it's like us men are fighters. We're rebels, right? Mm -hmm. We want to fight. Okay, but we don't always know what to fight for, and so rebel. We're gonna fight something. But we're gonna we're, fight. We're gonna something. fight something. Yeah. Protect this tree. <laughs> exactly. So if we can realize like the family that we've been given, uh-huh. right? And so the idea is, I'm gonna rebel against low expectations. I'm gonna rebel against mediocrity. I'm gonna rebel against being on my phone at the dinner table. All those things I'm gonna rebel against, so that I can create this life I was designed for, this family I believe I was made for, this legacy I want. So it could be big, small, whatever. But what's something that when I say that, what's something you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that rebellion? You know, I'm going to answer that by just sharing where I got, where my answer seems to be defined. Not the experience, but the definition came from how Thomas, I approached Thomas Blackwell about, dude, this guy says everything works out for my good all the time. Like it's in his voicemail, it's on his signature line, it's in his book, The Liberty of Our Language. I mean, all over the place. And I just, I mean, we've been friends three years. I mean, my son's named after him for crying out. I love this man. And I just, this wasn't too long ago. I said, Thomas, now now, you and me, we're open books, man. You know everything about me. I know a lot about you. For real. Like for real, for real everything like how long have you really like every have you always really felt it always works out and he chuckles like he does when he's really put on the spot because he really is a humble man he gives it all up everything that he's been blessed with he passes that right up where it belongs and he said to me he says mark it's just honestly something that i was given that i can just look at this that god you know i just have always known this is going to work out this is going to work out. And that's how I've been with rebelling as a father. Hmm. You know, it just seemed very, and maybe that example is not for me because there, I feel like there's nine things that I do that I have got to learn and grow from. And there's a couple precious gifts that God has given me just kind of as like a booster, like your startup boosters on a, any driving game, like what, what, what boost are you getting? I'm going to get the nitro. Give me the engine upgrade. I feel like that's what he gave me. You know, he gave me this relentless passion. So that's what to be a father. So Tom, so you're saying Thomas has this nitro booster for the, all things work out good. Yeah. He gets it. He's always got it. And for you, yours is doing fatherhood yeah it's a different way of doing fatherhood and i didn't know it was different till i started to have a lot of experiences and to me 
what what it seems that rebelling in my fatherhood was taking all my kids out for when uh, like once a night I'd try to take out and it wouldn't happen every month, but I'd take all my kids out and we had four kids under the age of five. I mean, we had a five-year-old, a, a three-year-old, yep. a one-year-old and a newborn for three months. And I remember when Thomas got to be about 18 months old, it was nuts, <laughs> but I'd take him out and I remember going out and getting the oddest, but seemingly well-intended stares and you know some fathers just struck by what they witnessed they were just like dude what'd you do wrong mm-hmm. like what'd you do wrong like another and others would say um oh it looks like you got your hands full and uh and they mean well you know they, they don't mean to be harmful or hurtful and i take it in stride and they would also say things like oh man is this what's special i'm like it's thursday it's like uh, it's Thursday night. It's, dad, it's dad's night. This is what we do, you know. And and they were just like, they didn't understand because why you gave I was your wife punished. Uh, you gave you to gave, take all the kids. Yeah, you gave Kathleen a night off once a week. Yeah, and I try, and I, I'm sure I'm getting those. She probably would say more like once a month. But man, darned if I didn't try. But they were regular. But that's right? the thing is, it was regular. It wasn't special. But it was so weird to the general public that I would do this intentionally. And, because and it, that you liked it, and that I enjoyed it, and like you know, and they would see me with enjoy my is infant. probably a better word. Yeah, well, you you can't miss you got you know, and you know this at the time, right? But you know something special is happening. But that's what drives you, whether you can define it by words, whether it's crystal clear at the front of your focus as you're driving to Chick Fil A, and one kid's in the back screaming. Another one is crying because the seat's not right and, and it's just loud and it's, and then you got, it's a whole thing. Like it's a whole workout session yeah. to unload and repack four kids under the age of five. I mean, there's a whole lot of energy involved. Oh yeah. There's logistics. You got a military operation. You got a plan. All right, look, we're going in through this door. But even in those moments, there's still something that silently drives you. And that's the good in what you do. That's God gifting your heart with a a burst of energy, a a burst of fulfilling purpose where you're just like, yeah, this is crazy, but man, feels good. Feels good. And we miss all of that. The second you say, yeah, but you got your hands full, don't you? Or yeah, oh man, I bet that's hard. Or wow, I can't believe you did all that. I'm like, yeah, sorry. I feel, it turned out to be, I ended up having a lot of pity on guys. Like I just felt like they were the ones missing out, but they had no clue. So I love hearing your answer because, and I love that we're sitting here Mm -hmm. because I can see you and I can feel the emotion and you clearly have a deep care and love for your family and your opportunity to be a dad. And I do love that you said, you know, like this is something you feel that God has given you this desire. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, going back, like, I'm not that good at nine things. I need to grow in them. But in this area, I've got it. Mm-hmm. But I want to challenge that and ask, do you think that more men who have found themselves on the adventure of fatherhood should f- have that same sense of joy that you are experiencing do you think that, that that that's part of it if they would open up their heart to to enjoy it? 
And if they're not, how, how would you recommend that they do that? It was Thomas that exposed me to this, this quote when how much is thomas paying you every time you say his name (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of biasly driven because my son thomas everybody jokes about how he's my favorite he's not my favorite (laughs) but we get along and we laugh about the same jokes we find him when he comes up to me wraps his arm around me and we're both geeking out over something silly and my wife just looks at us like oh my gosh guys do you need you need a room yeah you're going private space i'm like what what are you talking about we're just getting along so Thomas has become quite the beloved name in our house. He's the heart of the Brown family. There you go. But he so had, Thomas he had, had a said quote one time. I got, about what were you asking me before that? I was asking you. Here's what I want to bottle up, man. Yeah, is like hearing you talk about the time with your kids. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter if the business you're working on right now is not the business you're working on in a year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're not living on the East Coast in an, in two years. Mm-hmm. There's these things that we define ourselves by and that we, we really put our identity in in this life. Yeah. Our golf game, our yeah. sports we watch, our team, where we live, what my job is. There's a lot of things we identify ourselves with that could be ripped away tomorrow. And so my point is, with Rebel and Create Man, I believe that the de- that the desires of my heart to sit how you're sitting mm-hmm. as a 41 year old man and have really a sense of peace and fulfillment, strictly based on your role as a father. True, man. So, so that's now, right? <laughs> that's now. But you know, it was you know, Kathleen. It wasn't always that way. Um. You know, I, I've. You know, I've gone through my Gethsemane multiple times, it feels like. And, you know, I, I want to give everybody listening here the permission right now to go into the bathroom at the end of the day and tell themselves, say, look, you are a good father. And don't think any of the crap that you're, tempta- you're tempted to hold against you is a good enough case to take that away. Mm. The fact that, Fathers are even present is a huge mark. Mm. The fact that they may try to show up when they can is a huge mark. Whatever you're doing, you're focused on the good. Because when I hit my darkest days as a dad, uh, as a husband, um, they really don't matter. You know, you look back, you think about the pain of like when you had a tooth taken out or your leg got broke. You look back, you don't remember any of the, you know, it was painful, but you don't remember that pain and have it actually come back. Mm. You remember what happened. Oh yeah, I was, I was ripping down this trail and I went no hands and it was awesome. And then my, I ripped half my leg off, but then, <laughs> but, 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 but man, what a jump. Did you see that? And now I, I even have a story like that not far from my house. But one of my worst, worst moments, like where I was heavy under the burden of my role and just how many times I let myself believe that I absolutely was doing a horrendous job. And mm. my li- my kids' lives are ruined because of my how terrible I'm doing. What a destructive lie. What a destructive, fabricated adverse manipulation and distortion to the good you do as a dad. And I had to realize that. And it took me some time to realize that. But one of the moments that I 
that this really came home was my wife was eight months pregnant with our third. She was working on call as a hospice nurse between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. Monday through Thursday. We are living in a townhome that I'm renting from my mom that we're trying to rent our home out, but our previous tenants uh, ruined it and it took three months to get it back up to speed. So we were intending to go back home, but couldn't. And my parents were still in transition to their homes. So we had moved five times in two years. Mm. We're in this terrible townhome in a terrible part of town. And um, my cat ran away. I'm just <laughs> trying to think of all the crap that was going on. It was terrible. It was the worst thing. The cat thing sounds like it was a good thing. But... No, no. Oliver was the best. He was the best. He was my best bud, man. I love that guy. I never had pets till Oliver, and he was the man. Oh, that's sad. But, yeah, I know. He was. I, I miss that guy. Um, but he. Uh, it was a terrible time because I was closing. If I was if I was really fortunate, one account every month mm. or so. Yeah. <laughs> no money is yeah. coming in the house. I mean, I'm I'm trying to figure out an industry that has no vocation education in the United States, no university education, payment processing, and building Ornsock was learning outside sales a whole beast. Mm. Learning payments a whole nother beast. You know, and, and I was figuring that out and it took time. And I, and looking back, I did really well, learned it faster than most and did built it to an incredible, you know, leading provider in the United States. And so, but at that time, you, you really have a hard time seeing where your vision is. The cloud gets thick, especially if you don't, aren't focused on the light well enough. Like, like examples like Thomas have, have really kind of poised the, the mindset of like what that could actually look like if something shifted because she had, my wife had got a phone call at 11 something at night. She's exhausted day with the kids, uh, pregnant. Uh, most, almost everything we owns in boxes. We're in a crappy town home. That's in the rough time. It's just a rough part of our life. We're not really getting along the best in our relationship because of a lot of these adversities and she has to go drive out 45 minutes one way to take a bedpan to somebody who could have got that bedpan at five o'clock when he was visited by his day nurse, but didn't feel like bringing it up till 1130 at night. And she goes out there and he turns her away, mm. gets PO'd, turns her away. And that's a part of her job. It's a part of the challenges of going into people's home while they're experiencing a lot of the worst parts of end of life financially broke their person in their family's dying it's a rough situation right people are tight you know a lot of like this pandemic has offered the opportunity for people to become but um she drives back home she nearly falls asleep uh driving um and she gets home and she's just telling me how she didn't mean to make me feel bad but she's just exhausted she's yeah. exhausted yeah and i broke down and that i tell you i broke down like a man should break down at least a couple times in his life. I mean, I'm talking a wailing, weeping, just an unrestrained outpouring of pain and just like, dang, damn it, why am yeah. I not doing better? Why am why am I not further down the line here? Like, it really, it physically hurt me putting her life out there because that was the only bread we had coming in. And I was like, what the crap am I doing? 
I'm trying to sell stuff. Nobody wants to buy from me. I don't know what the crap I'm even selling. And it's just, it was rough. Um, and then as soon as I was able to get a grip on my emotions, I'd breathe for like five minutes and it was right back at it again. And I wail and I'm just pouring of tears mm. it's because it was just like, it hurt. It hurt deep, you know, just watching your girl that's leaned on you. That's like, she trusts you. She knows you're the, you're the future. You're our retirement. You're us being able to spend our time with our grandkids no matter where they live. You know, that this uh, that she chose me. Mm. And this that was heavy. Dude. It was heavy. Dude, it's heavy. But what's amazing is that you embrace that. I mean, like you're here now. And yeah. we're, sh- we're sharing this moment. And how many men just run away from that moment. Yeah. Because gonna... it's almost like you got to enter that pain. You have to enter that struggle. Like you share the story of the kid going underwater. Like you got to want it. You, you got to know why you want it. And you said like the smallest little thing. But if dudes just kept that in their why, she chose me. That no matter where our grandkids live, that we could go see them. Like, who freaking thinks of that stuff? Who <laughs> says that? If if every dude just had that thought in their mind, like, that's the loyalty that they need to for their spouse. Like, I need to fight for my wife because she's leaning on me for this. Like, dude, go to work, bro. Enter the struggle. Yeah. Enter the pain. And then let it shape you and come out faster, wiser, stronger. Or don't be... Or don't and just be a passive prick forever. Yeah. And that that's the stuff that, you know, you know, and I won't say his name again, but that's the stuff that <laughs> I was introduced through dear mentors in my life is that, you know, dude, going through that pain was the best thing for me. Mm. There's two types of pain in this world. There's the ones that we bring on ourselves and there's the ones that come to us. What I was going through, I could not have prevented I was doing the best with what I had. It was rough at the time. But looking back, I was like a child who had fallen off a bike and just couldn't understand why I kept hurting my knee and couldn't get the bike to go straight. It's a simple matter. It's a simple thing that we're going to get over because you are who you, you're God's, you're a king. You're a kid of the king. How screwed up can you really be? Mm. I mean, you can't be that bad. (laughs) It's really not that big of a thing. My grandfather told me many things, not the least of which was, don't sweat the small stuff, Mark. And here's a secret. It's all small stuff. Mm. It's all small stuff, man. Don't worry about it. It's all good. You know, the older, the elderly get it. You know, they, yeah. they get they get that higher vision. You know, going through that pain was a gift to me. It was a gift to me that my wife never fell asleep. That she never, our kids came out healthy, everyone. That she recovered 100% from all of her C-sections. That she was blessed to have and survive a fourth C-section is a miracle by itself. And that her income blessed us in our time of of change and growth. And, and, And that's the part, you know, if you think back, you know, what are the most precious things out of this? These experiences that choose you. Not the ones that we need to learn and grow from, because those are different. But the ones that choose us, you know, like my brother passing away, that their life's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. That that these are gifts. They really are. They really are. They really are gifts that you're going to be able to taste 
in some way, the bitter. And it's going to be bitter. It's going to be what might feel like hard, but it's really not when you know why you're doing it or why you're going through it. That this is you experiencing things. Because right now, after I've been through the loss of my brother Luke, the things that that has taught me, um, you know, my mom, there's lots of members of my family who don't feel this way, but there's, they have become to be such precious treasures in the fortitude of my soul and my mind that you would almost give up your life to keep them. Like it almost feels like it wouldn't even be a decision you had to like physically make. That without choice, without a thought, you would walk that path of sacrifice to keep it. Mm. It's become so precious, right? And those things you just got to go through. You do not know how sweet things are until you've tasted bitter, which is inevitable. Man, as you say it, I, I think of how many men I just, I don't think take a risk in lots of areas. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be a risk just in like, I really want to lead my kids, but I just, I'm nervous. I'm scared. Yeah. So it's like, I hear you talk about the taking risk. I think that's part of what makes us men too, is mm-hmm. that, that we have to go and take a risk. We have to go and pick up a fight, but we have to have a why as to what we're doing. Yeah. So the why I, I agree. The why is, is the, is the fuel of the tank. You know, it's going to keep the tank running and, and it's going to get you through. And for me, that was, my wife is not working. My wife is not going to go out in the middle of the night. She is going to be a full-time mom. And that's what we wanted. That's what we both wanted. It was our dream. And because she chose me, that's what we were going to do. So is that the case now? Is that the case now? That she stays home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's she's a full-time educator. She's a full-time mother of our four children. She runs Brown Bear Academy. And it is ruthless and its curriculum is pretty structured. You got some bright minds. Um, uh, son Luke is, he's uh, great. He's um, scoring at a 99 percentile in math, comprehension, calculation, and reading. And so is, I mean, they're all excelling well beyond their age level. So you did it. You made it happen. Yeah. And you know, this, I mean, never get caught up in the little things though, man, because I bought her a, I'm, I, I got a picture of our family. It was sometime around 2010 because I put October 9th or something like that, 2012 on it. And I said, that's your, that's your retirement. That's the last day you're going to work. And she was, you know how we, God lasts when we make plans, right? I had to figure some more things out. It was a little bit longer, but dude, her last day of employment was 2004, 2015. And now you, you can look at that at the time and you say three years, that was three years more. Would you give three years for a lifetime of one-on-one time for your wife with your kids? Would you give three years? For, I'd give 10. What are you talking about? Yeah, what that's the thing. I'd give 10. <laughs> that's the thing people miss out on, or I should say misunderstand about setting goals or setting benchmarks is they don't do them because they don't want to be disappointed. That was never the point. Mm-hmm. The point was that if you never set anything, it's never going to happen. 
if you never put that frame with that thing, it was never going to happen. Yeah. So the fact is that you set a benchmark. Did it take a little bit longer? Were you a little bit more ambitious? Yeah. So what? Yeah. But it happened. And while the other guys who didn't set a goal at the same time said goals are stupid, benchmarks yeah. are stupid, their wife's working today. Oh man, the vision without vision, man perish. Man, you you mm. better know what you want and trust that if it doesn't happen, when or how, that that was all meant to be the way it was. It yeah. all works out for you good. Yeah, because you have you you follow Go, Goalcast. You see their videos, killer, way inspirational mm. videos, Check one after out. another. They had this one man speak, and he he talked about his father. And one of the things he shared was he said his dad taught him that you know son I'd have a I wouldn't have a hard time if you aimed high and missed, but if you aimed low and hit, you know dude it's it's natural to readjust. There's something like over thirty course corrections a ship takes between Asia and L.A. Mm. That's normal. That's normal. Don't ever feed in or fat or or give any energy. To the fact that your course correcting is a failure. It's not. It's an adjustment. It's, it's an part adju- of the process. It's a part of the process. The fact that you have to adjust is evidence of your progression itself. I love it. The fact that Stoke. you need to move the radar, the rudder, proves that you're in motion. Good Dude. stuff, huh? Dude, so good. Makes me want to go buy a ship. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm like, no, those are too expensive. They're, no, not going to happen. Dude, I feel like we could talk fatherhood forever. It's just so rich. It's so good, man. Um, but I'm going to ask you my last question. Okay. So my last question is on legacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 30 years from now, you're standing out on the street and you're peering through the windows of your kids' homes. Okay. What do you see? And it's not the, just like we talked about with your own dad. It's mm-hmm. not the... Well, you know what? Every uh, Monday morning, I woke my kids up and I told them this. Yeah. But it's the day in, day out, words, actions, the silent consistency of Mark Brown. What is it that you see in their homes? What's the legacy you left? Oh, man. That they... Man, I tell you, the thing that really gets deep inside me, that really pricks the most the 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 sharpest cord that runs through my whole inner like all my energy is that they cherish family mm. that they cherish their fatherhood that they um they're a good husband that they that these moments in family are the greatest of things they're the greatest the very best of things they're everything that is wonderful in the world comes from the lessons and the experiences that you get inside the home and to cherish that in all of its flavor and all of its color and all of its diversity that no matter how crazy busy or whatever the world may may lead you to or however your path might go that you that they cherish the family because my family has meant and been the world to me and I'm pretty sure that I would be a homeless drug addict, um, penniless. Uh, not that there's any judgment on those in those situations, but for me, it would have been a life not lived. It would have been a life left wanting had it not been for my brothers and my parents 
who gave me such sure footing into a life that could never end up not well lived because of what they did. I had brothers that I wrestled in high school and I wasn't actually very good, probably because I didn't wrestle a lot. I wandered a lot through my high school years and I tried many things, but I I would have been a great wrestler because I loved wrestling. I still do now, but I only wrestled my freshman year and then I didn't wrestle again until my senior year. And when I went in my senior year, I wanted to be the best. I'm like, dude, this is my last year. They're going to remember Mark Brown. I'm going to knock this out of the park. And we had lost eight matches in districts in overtime the year before, which I wasn't a part of. I know this because during our wrestling meeting before the next season of my senior year, sat down with a longtime friend of mine, Troy Emler, and Coach Davis, Coach D., He's up there and he rehearses. He's like, man, we lost eight matches in overtime. We had nine people go into districts and we lost eight of those in overtime. He says, I don't think that was your fault. I felt like that was my fault. So this year, we're going to make sure that going the extra mile conditional wise, it's not going to be a problem. And I leaned over to Troy and I always remember this moment. I was like, Troy, what does that mean? He said, uh, that means buckle up. That's what that means. I mean, get ready. Get ready. It's going to be rough. We went from about 130 people down to about 40 in just a matter of about a week and a half. We had a guy who who got out of uh, boot camp some months before come and attend our conditioning a couple months into the, the wrestling season. He vomited once and took a break another time. He couldn't keep up. And we were, at this point, we were fly. Yeah. I mean, we were, this was the best shape I've ever been in my life, even now. I mean, it was incredible. Um, but uh, that wrestling season, um, that was big for me. It, it changed a lot of things. Um, I forget why I was even sharing this. Like, where did I start this rabbit hole? Can you help me out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were talking about the legacy that you want to leave with your family. Mm-hmm. So this was my wrestling season, my senior year. And it was big for you. It was big for me. Yeah. And I, I was excited. I was fired up. They they ended up making me they never made I never was an official captain, but they, they were like, dude, if you had been here at least any other time, you'd be the leader of the, and they had me lead out a match and a couple things because I really was unexperienced. And um, you know, a lot of those guys had put in some serious time and dedication to that team. You know, they had a right to be a leader. And stuff, but they show me mad respect. And I remember feeling like I was failing a couple, you know, three, four weeks into the conditioning. And I, I wanted to give up. And they came, David White and Troy Emler, they came up to me and they're like, dude, Mark, we got to be honest with you, man. You on this team is wearing us out. We have to keep up with you. You make us work harder. Hmm. And dude, like, you are doing incredible, man. Dude, don't go nowhere. Like, you, and it gave me a lift. And then a couple weeks later, we had our first couple matches. And I had long hair at the time, which unfortunately my mom still has pictures of on the wall. They're awful. Kids walk in. They're like, Grant, my kids walk in. Like, Who's that? It's a girl we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> All right, look, she's gone. She ain't coming back. <laughs> it was bad. It was ball. And to make matters worse, she set it in the window so it became colored stained. And so now it looks like this ghostly of a man. It's like I don't even know what it was with long mushroomy hair. But anyways, I'd lost this match in some part because my hair got in my way. 
Mm. I was trying to look at the shot. It blocked a view. This guy got me off guard. Ended up getting some points, and he won the match. Really ticked me off. I can tell it's still there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's still, still pretty burned. heavy. It still motivates me now, right? <laughs> but um, I went home and I and I and I clipped my hair. Mm. I clipped it to about like how short it is now, about half inch, whatever. I tripped it all the way down. I said, "I'm all in. I'm in or I'm out. So I'm all in. We're doing this season hardcore. I'm going to win some friggin' matches." And, and wrestling 145 as a senior was hardcore because these guys as seniors, they've been wrestling their whole lives, man. They were pretty good. So I come home and I go to school the next day. And one of my close friends, who oddly is in my scene, ended up marrying David White. But she looks at me. She's like, I hate it. I hate you. I hate it. Get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. The girls, Some of the girls liked the hair. You know, and these were just friends, but they liked the hair. And so, but it was high school. You know, it was like, you know. What does that really mean in high school, right? So I really questioned what I did. I felt bad. My friends had kind of like made fun of me and, you know, at the table and stuff. I felt kind of disowned. I came home kind of beaten and trodden. I was already having this up and down season. You know, I'm doing great, but I'm losing. And then I win, but I lost. And then I feel good, but now I don't. And so I came home and my brothers, I walked in the door, my brother Luke, uh, I saw him running down the stairs and his hair was cut like mine. And at first I was kind of salty. I was like, dude, what are you doing? This is my look, you know, blah, blah, blah. All ego, prideful, which I've I've been forgiven of. And I know my brother Luke's put it past him now. <laughs> but then I come up and I see that my brother Paul had also done that. And then he grabbed my brother Jason and he had done it. And I realized, I'm like, oh, oh, they all did this. Paul, Adam, Luke, and Jason, they all did this. And he stood there, he had their arms around. I always remember that look. They're standing by the telephone on the wall. He's got it. He said, Mark, we heard about them making fun of you. We got your back. You know, we got up. your back. And I was like, oh, now that wrecked me. It still wrecks me now, but that's what I grew up in. Yeah. You know, if I could peer through the windows of my children 100 years from now, it's that that's going on. Yeah, those moments where they like, dude, they're they're not they're not becoming, you know, close. They're becoming blood, like more than biological DNA made them. They are becoming emotionally woven together for time and all eternity. Like they are. This is it. This is the fusing of a family, and that starts at the head. Starts at the head. It starts at the head. It starts by quiet examples of humble, humbly following. Uh, servants of Christ and, and men embracing masculinity, which is good because the definition of masculinity is good. It would be like saying a bad Christ, no such thing. If you're being masculine, you're being good hmm. at that. You are using that to help and do an influence to your children. But I'm seeing them do that as fathers and stuff. So it would be my hope that I see that. Right now they're they're becoming teenagers, so you might want to pause and ask me that in about twenty years, ten fifteen years. <laughs> See if it's looking Mark. Up. Man, I just uh, I'm almost at like a loss for words. It's just, been a good show, man. The spirit just talking good with today. you is is so good. And as dudes are listening, I mean, you are an incredible human being. You are a fighter. You are a rebel. You are. Um, an amazing husband to your wife and dad to your kids. I'm sure friend to anybody who any path you come across. And as I'm sitting here thinking about 
like what I want to say as we end, think about the dudes who are listening to this. Think about the dudes, like maybe you're on a run, maybe you're driving home from work, maybe, you know, you got a lot of stuff on your mind, you're busy. But when you go home tonight, when you walk through the door, I want you to think, how has Mark Brown walked through the door? Like we need more Mark Browns. We need more dudes that when asked, what's the legacy you want to what's the legacy you want to leave with your kids? Your eyes well up with tears. Man, I- because because it matters that much to you because you get it. So okay. I think I just I think we need more Mark Browns and I think that it's inside of all of us. It's inside of all of us. You just have to tap into it. You have to embrace the struggle. You have to embrace the presence of where you are now. Look in the mirror. Look in the rearview mirror. Tell I'm a good man. I'm a good father. And then go after that. Go become that. Go be that. Go act like that until you are. And be grateful for everything along the way, no matter no matter what. Because it's not about it's not about the destination. It's about the process about of going the through this. It's That's right. And and it's like you said. Like now it might feel heavy. Now it might feel hard. But you're going to look back on this and be like, dude, I wouldn't be the dad and husband mm-hmm. I am today if it wasn't for that heavy stuff that I had to go through. No doubt. Mm-hmm. So you got to embrace it. So embrace Mark, it. dude, keep being the dude you are. Keep growing. I know that we sit down and talk 10 years from now. It's going to be like, oh man, dude. the old Ned and Mark, man, they didn't know anything. <laughs> Those guys were nuts. Those guys were nuts. Because we continue to embrace the idea that our role is so significant and so meaningful and so valuable that we're going to continue to press into who we were created to be because we know that our why, our wife, our kids, our grandkids, 500 years from now, the Browns and the Shouts you and I, the work we're putting in today is going to impact them mm-hmm. and it matters. So dude, thank you for being on Fatherhood for Field Notes. Me, man. You are an incredible human being be and uh, <laughs> dude, I appreciate you. Thanks, Ned. All right, bro. Such good stuff, you guys. Hey, you, you right now listening to this, you have the power to be whoever you want to be. Mark was so inspiring He's chosen the father he wants to be. You and I get to choose the kind of father we want to be. So decide, and then let's go be that dude. Ah, super good. Hey, every Monday I put out this Fatherhood Field Notes podcast interviewing killer dads. If you are interested in a shorter podcast, I put it out every Friday. It's still found in the same place, Rebel and Create, but it's called Craft of Fatherhood. And I just discuss a question I'm going through or maybe a question a father sends to me. And hey, I need your help. I have a goal. I'm about to hit my 100th podcast. That is a ton of freaking hours doing podcasts. And I need your help. I want to hit 100 reviews by the time my 100th podcast comes out, which is a lofty goal. And I won't be able to do it unless you take a few minutes and figure it out and help me out. So thank you for doing that. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do truly matters. Do not be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood.